0: Welcome to the Renaissance Christian Church Podcast. We're a church family with the mission of seeking God, serving others, and sharing the gospel. We're grateful that you have joined us as we study through the Bible, and we hope that it brings you encouragement and inspiration for your daily life. Here's Pastor Robert Fonseca. Open your Bibles this morning to Revelation 1. We're going to look at verses nine through twenty, <clears throat> and hopefully, I don't my voice doesn't get in the way of this. But uh, let's pray, <clears throat> Lord. Once again, we thank you uh, most, most of all, for who you are, as we just sung about you and glorified your holiness. We thank you for that, Lord, and we pray this morning again as Pastor John did, that you would unveil yourself to us this morning, that you would show us who you are, and you would show us who we are in you, Lord God. You would you would give us and remind us of our purpose here in this world as individuals and as a church. And I pray that we would see that as we look through your word this morning, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> All right. So, we are in our second study as we travel the book of Revelation this year. And the title of this morning's message is The Foundation of Our Victory. <clears throat> as we always sing about, right, Christ is our victory. We're fighting from victory. We're fighting for victory. And in all that time in between seems rough at times. And sometimes it feels like God is not in control or we're losing. And so, how does that all work? And as we've been mentioning over the past probably just months as we've been kind of hinting at this book, is that Revelation is a, an unveiling of the victory that we have in Christ, not only for the church, churches that this was written to, but by extension to all of us. And next week, uh, for those of you who like to read ahead, we'll be in just looking at the first church of Ephesus, and we'll see exactly a specific message that the Lord had for them, and again, by extension to all of us. So. Hopefully you'll join us next week. We're just going to be in verses 1 through 7. But in the section this morning, we encounter John's first vision. And if I'm not mistaken and how appropriate, I think there are seven visions in the book of Revelation. I could be wrong. I probably should have looked that up. But can anybody verify that? Any of the pastors that have been studying so diligently? (laughs) No. That's all right. I said maybe. I don't know. Anyways, in this vision that we're going to look at this morning, we get a picture of the authority of Jesus Christ, the authority that he possesses, and how that authority uh, he uses to commission John, as we'll see, to write to the seven churches. And in the symbolic meaning of this vision, we will draw our application this morning. So we're going to go through and talk about the vision, and then at the end, find some application from it. So let's read the section in its entirety, verses 9 through 20, and then we'll come back and discuss it. And really, this section is a continuation of the introduction of the book and the purpose of the book. So with that said, the Apostle Paul writes, I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos, because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, write in a book what you see, send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands was one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, and girded across his breast with a golden girdle. And his head and his hair were white like wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. And his feet were like burnished bronze, when it has been a cause to glow in a furnace, And his voice was like the sound of many waters. And in his right hand, he held seven stars. And out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as a dead man. And he laid his right hand upon me saying, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one and I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have, I have the keys of death and of Hades, right there for the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall take place after these things. As for the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands, Are the seven churches, and so here, as I said, you see the first vision that is given to John. Now, before we get into that, let's go into a little biographical information about John that we see here in, in probably exactly these first two verses, because I think it's important to understanding the entire book. John says he is obviously he's writing a letter as their brother, meaning he's a fellow believer. Right? He's writing to the church, to the seven churches of, of Asia Minor. And so he's a part of not just their church, but all the churches, right? We all are part of a family of God. We are part of a bigger church, which is typically called the church universal, right? All of the saints that lived in the past, all that live now, and all that will live in the future. We are part of a church. So this letter that John's writing, he's writing to believers who are in the family of God. Pretty simple, right? But there's three terms that I want to spend some time on here. And they're what he says next. He's a fellow partaker, meaning he's taking part in some things here. In one, the tribulation, in two, the kingdom, and perseverance. <clears throat> that word tribulation is an it can also be described as affliction or suffering or pressure. Right? This this term, uh, when we hear this, there's no doubt that all of us think, particularly in the book of Revelation, of a specific time designated or that we've been taught that is towards the end of the world, right? How many of you heard of the seven years of tribulation? Who's heard of it? You can Raise your hand because I need to know who I'm talking to here. Just kidding. Right? Teachers teach that at the end of the world, there's going to be seven years of tribulation. That's what I was taught. Here in the in the book of Revelation, here is that what he's talking about? Is this the great tribulation that spoke of by Jesus in the Olivet discourse, right? Matthew 24, Luke 21, and I think Mark uh, 11. I think I could be wrong there. Is that what he's talking about? Well, no, because if you've been with us for a while, and when we went through Luke and we went through Mark. The Olivet Discourse, I believe, is not talking about an end times tribulation. It is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem that happened in A.D. 70. So obviously this is not what he's talking about here. John is writing at a time that the church is going through tribulation. As we'll see over the next few weeks, we're going to spend a week going through each letter to the church that all of them are going through something hard. They're going through affliction or suffering or pressure. They're going through tribulation. The tribulation that he's talking about here, I believe is not a future date. He's not talking about something in the future. He's talking about what he's partaking. He's like, I'm a fellow partaker in the tribulation. He's in the tribulation right now. He's in the affliction and the suffering and pressure, right? He's on Patmos because he's been exiled to a little island for the word of God, he says, for his testimony of Jesus Christ. He is suffering affliction, persecution, tribulation. The tribulation, again, that is discussed here is not talking about something in the future. It's talking about what he's going through right now. And he's writing to the seven churches about that tribulation. When we think again of the seven year of tribulation, we again, think of the end times, right? That's what we think of. And if you were here last week, we talked about that we are already in the last days, according to scripture. But the time between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus is described in scripture as the end times, the latter days, the last days. Again, so here as we go through Revelation, Pastor John, Pastor Jared, I'm pretty sure passage, Jared. And uh, when we talk about tribulation, we're talking about the age that we are presently in as the church. We do not believe Scripture teaches a seven years tribulation at the end of the world. Tribulation at the end could be longer than seven years. It could be shorter than seven years. We believe as you go through the texts of Scripture that teach those things that that's not what it's saying. And I don't believe we can draw that from this text as well. So when we say tribulation, please don't understand it the way maybe you've been taught or I've been taught in the past, a specific uh, seven years of tribulation. We are talking about the tribulation known as the church age, the latter days. The end times consist of the first coming of Jesus and his second coming. That is the tribulation. So it makes sense then If you were here last week when he says the time is now, the time is near. What's going to take place shortly? Meaning the tribulation is happening now and the churches here in Asia Minor are experiencing it. And so he's saying, I'm a fellow partaker in this tribulation. (laughs) He's also a fellow partaker of the kingdom. The present reality of the kingdom of God that is displayed in his people. Right? The kingdom of God has arrived. It is here In one sense, in the first coming, it exists through the church. If you read through the Gospels in Matthew 14, 17 and Matthew 10, 7, Jesus says that the kingdom of God is at hand, meaning it's arrived. It is here. And then again in Luke 17, 21, Jesus says, The kingdom of God is in your midst. It's right here. Jesus has brought the kingdom of God. God is now ruling and reigning through the hearts of each and every one of us. Through the church. And we believe at his second coming, he will fully consummate it, which means we will fully experience the kingdom of God in all its glory, right? Because right now you're like, this is the kingdom of God. No, not in all its glory. In one sense, yes. And if you look at, go back to uh, chapter one, just a few verses in Revelation 1 6, what does he say? He, John speaking to the uh, churches, he says, He has made us to be a kingdom. Priest to God the Father, to him be glory and ever, forever. Amen. He's saying, You're already priests. John prayed that earlier, right? We're already priests. And I mentioned that last week. If you weren't here, I would encourage you to get online and, and listen to that. <clears throat> Again, the introduction is important, as I mentioned last week, so you can see where we're going, how we are, are going to walk through the book of Revelation. The kingdom of God is here. We're part of the kingdom of God and tribulation exists as well, side by side. That's why John says, I'm a partaker in the tribulation and the kingdom. And then there's one more word he uses, the perseverance. That means endurance. He, like the churches that he is writing to, is persevering in his faith, right, in this world. He's not compromising. He's been banished to the island of Patmos because he didn't compromise, because he held true to the kingdom of God and its message, and so he's exiled on this island. And he is living through the tribulation until the coming of the Lord, which we'll talk about in a few moments. <clears throat> and so this is going to be the message to the church, our church is that they are called to uh, to. Uh, And encouraged to persevere until the end. You're going to hear that over and over as we go through the book of Revelation. To persevere, to hold on, to hold fast, especially when we go through the letters of each church. It is a victorious endurance that we are talking about. We're not talking about hanging on like, you know, like a hanging on to the last piece of thread, you know. It's not that. It's like, well, I'm just holding on until Jesus comes back. We're not called to live like that. We're called to endure until we conquer. We don't give up moving forward in this life. We haven't resigned to sticking our talents in the sand and hiding them until the master comes back. You guys remember that parable that Jesus gave? Wasting the talents that they were given, right? Jesus praised the ones that went out there and advanced the kingdom of God in the midst of tribulation, in the midst of suffering. Again, we use our talents to increase the kingdom of God. Paul declared, Paul's great declaration of endurance can be found in 2 Timothy 4, 7. I think this is a great example of what we're talking about about when we speak about endurance here in the book of Revelation, or perseverance, The Apostle Paul said this at the end of his letter, and really what he knew was the end of his life. He said this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course, and I have kept the faith. That's perseverance, right? He didn't hide from the world. He didn't live in a monastery up in the mountains away from every temptation and trial. No, he says, I fought. I finished and I kept the faith. That's the perseverance that the Apostle Paul, excuse me, the Apostle John is inviting the churches to take part in. He says, "I'm taking part of this." I mean, here is John exiled, and he could have been all alone and just said, "Woes me! Why is God allowing this to happen to me? It always happens to me." He says, "No, I'm going to write probably one of the greatest letters I believe as we go through it." to the church that's going to last for all eternity. He fought the fight. He finished the course and he kept the faith. And that's the call to the church today as it was back then. John saying, I'm a partaker of the tribulation and the kingdom and the perseverance. <clears throat> this threefold description of John can be, a, is really just a microscopic summary summary of the entire message of this book which is this, and this quote will come up. It says, During this time of tribulation, the kingdom of God that manifests itself in the church is persevering victoriously through Christ. That's the message. That's going to be the message through the book of Revelation. All three of those things. Again, tribulation, kingdom, and perseverance coexist side by side. All right, we're called to live through tribulation Victoriously, <clears throat> And so, the Apostle John writes this, and then in verse 10, we see the John writing not only as a fellow partaker of these things, but he's also writing as a prophet. Look at verse 10 again. He says, I was in the spirit of the Lord and heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet. He is being inspired by the Holy Spirit to record what he sees. And he's passing it along to the churches. Old Testament prophets received messages this way, and they described these kinds of encounters with this being empowered by the Spirit. Well, the Spirit of God spoke to me. The Spirit of God led me. The Spirit of God told me this. And so what is that message That the Apostle John writes specifically to the churches and by extension to all of us. And so in verse 11, he says he writes to seven churches, right? We're not going to go through those again. Uh, Like like I said, we're going to go through each church in detail over the next seven weeks. Seven churches, seven weeks. So you guys know where we're going. So... He's saying, "I and this is this is important to notice." We go through the book. There's so many little things that we could just spend all day on, and I'm really trying not to do that. So I apologize if I spend a little bit of time on things. You're like, "What are you? What are you dealing?" Let's move on, buddy. You're only on verse 11, and we got to get through 20, and the Cowboys are on soon, or something like that. <clears throat> just kidding. So I threw myself off here. <laughs> okay, so. Uh, in these visions, the Apostle Paul will always hear one, a John, the Apostle John will hear something, and then when he turns around, he sees something different. You'll notice that as we move along. The, basic, the, the best example of this is when he hears the voice say 144,000 later in the book of Revelation, and then they name off all the tribes and how many people come from each tribe, and then he turns around. And what he sees is a myriad of people that are beyond, that he can't count, from all tribes and all nations. Why does he do that? Why does he hear 144,000 and then turns around and sees something totally different? Well, you'll have to wait till we get there. <clears throat> but this is what happens often in the Revelation. So here's one thing, right? He says he hears a voice, and then he turns around, to look at the voice that is speaking. Again, these are visions that he's having. He says, I turn to see the voice that was speaking with me and having turned, what does he see? Seven golden lampstands, verse 13, and in the middle of the lampstand, one like the son of man clothed in robes, reach it to the feet and girded across his breast with a gold, golden girdle and in his head, excuse me, and his head and his hair were white like wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire, and his feet were burning, burnished bronze. And then he says, his voice was like the sound of many waters, and in his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. Imagine that vision. Maybe Pastor John could create that. Have you created that yet, John? John? Okay, well, that would be cool to see. <clears throat> the vision, right? It's like a dream, trying to describe a dream. So what is he talking about here? Well, the seven golden lampstands are the churches. Jesus interprets that in verse 20 for us. The seven golden lampstands are the churches. Seven, as we spoke about last week, is a literal number that has symbolic meaning in the book of Revelation. Again, it's talk it's meaning can be summed up in perfection, fullness or completion. We talked about that last week, right? Why seven churches? Why weren't there more churches in Asia? Why seven lampstands? Why seven again we went through the whole thing. Seven bowls and seven seals and seven trumpets. There's a a message that they're conveying. It's a literal, these are literal churches, literal number seven, but they have symbolic meaning. These seven churches, again, represent the fullness of the church universal or the complete church. So he's writing to all the churches, not just these seven, but he's using these seven to deliver his message. Lampstands, you may or may not know. Uh, In the Old Testament, so in the book of Revelation, there's a lot of Old Testament uh, imagery being used. So if we're not familiar with the Old Testament, we're going to miss some of the meaning that's embedded in these words. And so the first century that heard these things, they would have been very clear about what was going on. That's all they had was the Old Testament. And so he doesn't spend a lot of time interpreting these things for us, so we have to interpret them by using the Old Testament. So the Old Testament will interpret most of the images that we see in the book of Revelation. So, for example, the lampstands in, in the book of Exodus, they are lampstands that were shed, that shed light in the tabernacle on the on the presence of God. They were in the most holy place and they shed light on the presence of God. And then in the most holy place in the Actual temples of God, temple of God, there were ten lamps, right? And they too illuminated the most holy place before God's glorious presence. And in Zechariah, we don't have time to go through all these things, but I just want to give you an understanding. In Zechariah, lamp stamps were explained as being connected to the power of the seven spirits of God to accomplish his pers- his purpose in the world. Right? If you go to uh, Turn over to Revelation chapter 4, verse 5 real quick, and you'll see this. He says this very thing. Revelation 4, verse 5, he says, And from the, from the throne proceeded flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder, and there were seven lamps of fire burning for the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. So there's a connection of a lampstand and the spirit of God. So the church, who are the lampstands, right? They are to illuminate the presence of God and they signify the power of the Holy Spirit being used through the churches to accomplish God's purpose in this world. These are what the seven golden lampstands represent. Then he also sees... He says, in the midst of those lampstands, in the middle of the churches. Again, imagine seven, they're basically menorahs, lampstands, that he sees this vision of. And he sees a man walking in the midst of them, or one like the Son of Man. This is no mere angel that he's talking about, and it's no mere human all right, this is a description that are drawn from the text that John, that Pastor John read today, so strategically. Daniel 7, were you guys, did you guys remember that when he read it? He's going to save me some time from reading it. So Daniel 7, and in Daniel 10, these are Old Testament Old Testament titles of God, the Ancient of Days. And, but John seems to mix these things. The Ancient of Days and the Son of Man showing Jesus Christ's divinity Because look at the descriptions that he gives of the Ancient of Days. Like one like a, a head and hair that were white like wool. Right, This is no mere angel. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were as burnished bronze. Right? Again, this is no mere human. This is a divine being. And the Ancient of Days in Daniel 7 is God himself. And so he here is seeing a picture of God. Jesus is not just a man. He is divine. He is God incarnate, right? In verse 17 of our text, he says, I'm the first and the last. This is the same as saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega earlier in John or in Revelation chapter one. There's this constant mixing of God the Father and God the Son because they are one. And then he describes some royal clothing that signified dignity or greatness. It could even be describing Jesus as a priest, not just a king. Both of these uh, positions Jesus has, right? And he describes Jesus as being sovereign, ruler over all the angels. Again, what does Jesus or the Son of Man have in his right hand? He has the seven stars, which we are told from verse 20, are the seven angels. He controls the angelic realm. He controls all the angels, right? Not just seven, but all of them. Again, seven mean completeness, fullness, perfection. Interesting to note, Roman leaders Domitian and Hadrian also had coins uh, of their, you know, coins with their... um, profiles on them or their pictures on them and they were had seven stars as well signifying that they were the kings they were the rulers of all authority thus this image the first century would have been well really well aware of what this signified and so here john's reminding them that no jesus your king is greater than domitian who is probably the caesar that was ruling at the time Here, Jesus is in the midst of the church. He's the protector of the church. He has the angels in his hands. He controls all things. Again, that's a great picture of who our God is. He also shows in this image the power of Jesus' words, the power of judgment. What is coming out of Jesus' mouth here, we see it's a two-edged sword. And the two-edged sword speaks of his judgment, his power. Let's look at two ways this is used in the book of Revelation. Look at uh, Revelation 2, verse 16. It says this, as he's speaking to the church at Pergamum, he says this, Repent, therefore, else I am coming to you quickly, and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. Jesus is coming to avenge his people as well. He holds them. He protects them. He avenges them. And then in Revelation 19, 15, which I believe is talking about the second coming of Christ, he says this, Revelation 19, verse 15, if you're turning there, he says, From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may smite the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he... And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. So the sword that is coming out of Jesus' mouth is a sword of vengeance of judgment. Jesus is showing that as He is in full control, He controls the realms of heaven and earth. He is God, and He is coming back again, and He will avenge His church and His name. And so at this divine image that John sees, what is his reaction in verse 17? He says, I saw him, and I, I fell down at his feet as a dead man. He didn't worship him. He just fell down, like, like scared stiff. Like, what is this that he's seen? And then he's told that, that Jesus puts his right hand on him. He's telling him, don't be afraid, right? He might not have fully understood who he was. He said, I'm the first and the last, again, signifying I'm God. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. That's who you're standing before, John. And so Jesus tells him, don't be afraid. And then he gives him this message in verse 18. He says, I'm the living one. I was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. But that's a picture of Jesus. Jesus died and resurrected. He is alive in heaven. He's ruling and reigning now. Don't we say that? That God is ruling and reigning. So God, therefore, has a kingdom that he's ruling and reigning which is his church. We are the kingdom of God. God rules and reigns in, in his kingdom, and one day we'll come again and consummate that in full reality. So, those non believers right, right now are those who maybe are compromising their faith or thinking of giving it up. Know this Jesus is coming again. Don't mistake Jesus's delay in coming as him not coming, him not being real or him approving of your lifestyle, one day he's coming with the sword to judge the nations, to avenge his church. He tells John, don't be afraid. And then he encourages them with this. He says, I have the keys of death and Hades. Hades is the grave. He's saying, I have the keys of death and the grave. I own it. I control men's lives. I control where they go. This is how powerful our God is. Jesus has defeated death and now he controls it. He's always controlled it, but this solidifies he says, I controlled it and I proved it and I demonstrated it by rising from the dead. And then he tells John, record all this that you just saw. Record which was, which is which is which is and which shall take place after these things. So not only is he writing about what's happening presently, but he's going to reveal to John what's going to happen in the future as well. The future that we are a part of as well. Record these things that I have shown you, he says. So with that, what is our application from that this morning as we close? Well, I think we could pull from this this message this morning or two things that I want to point out specifically is that there's a victorious message to the church for each and every one of us today as well that he was giving to the seven churches in Asia and that victorious message is this is that in Jesus we are victorious in the midst of the tribulation right we're living in the tribulation now but we can be victorious. That's the message he's given. You're victorious already in Christ because of what Jesus has done. And if we're not feeling victorious, we need to ask ourselves, why not? Am I compromising my faith? Am I giving in to my flesh over and over again? Am I not fighting the good fight? We have the power to win. We have the power to be victorious. Jesus holds it in his hand. We need to walk in the power of our Lord. Another message that is given to us is that Jesus is control of this, is in control of this turbulent world. Right? He's in control of this. No matter how bad it looks, no matter how bad it gets, no matter how good it gets, right? He's in control of it all. That was the image that we saw. He controlled, right? He had the he's walking in the midst of the church. He has this the angels in his hand. He's in control of all things. It also means this, that Jesus is with us in the midst of tribulation. He didn't leave us alone. He gave us his Holy Spirit to walk in victory, to have victory in this world. If you're not having victory again, maybe you're fighting against that Holy Spirit. But we have the victory. That's the victorious message. Fourthly, Jesus will reward those who endure to the end. We're going to see that message over and over given to the seven churches in the next few weeks that Jesus promises to reward each and every person that endures, that perseveres until the end. And then another message, a victorious message to the church is that Jesus will defeat those who stand against us and those who reject him. Jesus will defeat them one day. That's a scary thought to think about for our friends and relatives and those who deny the power of Christ, who refuse to submit to God. That one day they will stand before God and he will judge them. He said, you sat through church. Your mother and father were believers. They taught you scripture and you refused it. You denied me. That's a horrible message to hear for all eternity, I would think. You denied the power. You literally stepped over me to refuse me. Again, Jesus is patient and kind and long-suffering, and he will forgive you now until the day that he returns. But you have to repent. This is a victorious message that Jesus will win. The second thing I want to point out is that this victorious mission for us, for us as a church, For the church universal, there's a victorious message that he gives, right? We are the lampstands and the vision that he had, right? The lampstands were the seven churches, and the seven churches represents the church universal. So what's our mission? Well, you have to come to the meeting today. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Well, the mission is this. Number one, glorify God, church. Glorify God. That means victoriously witnessing. Remember the lampstands. What did they do? They illuminated the most holiest place. They illuminated God. They are showing God to other people. That is our. That's what we are supposed to do as a church. We're to illuminate God to the rest of the world through our lives. Right. That's a big task. Right. Because we all get in the way of that. Our sins get in the way. We constantly fail at that. But the Lord knew that, right? We live in the tribulation. We're going to stumble and fall and praise God for His forgiveness and His mercy. But glorify God, church, with your life, victoriously witnessing to this world. Make Him known to other people. And second, secondly, accomplish God's purpose in the world. That is the goal of the church. We are to not only illuminate God to the world, but we're to be about the Lord's business and we need to do it by persevering, which is victoriously persevering. We need to persevere until the end, until he comes back or until he calls us home. Nobody knows when the Lord will return. He could return today or he could return in a hundred years. Nobody knows. We are not told. We need to victoriously persevere. That means fighting against the sin in our own lives, fighting against our flesh. Most of us here in this in this room aren't fighting an enemy that's keeping us from living out our faith. We don't live in a country like that, thankfully. And hopefully we never do. Most of us are battling our own sins, our own desires, our own temptations, things that we put in front of ourselves. And so we need to fight against that because that's keeping us from living out God's purpose. We need to be praying for the salvation of our family and friends, that they would see the Lord. That's how we victoriously persevere in prayer. Pray for them. Never stop praying. Who knows what the Lord can do? Remember, he has the power of death and Hades. He owns all things. He's sovereign. He's fully in control. And he's showing us this. He showed the church out of the first century. He's showing us today, I'm in control. I own all this. I know what's going to happen. We foolishly think that we can uh, escape God's plan or go the opposite way. And we do that to our own demise. I want to close with this quote from a commentator named G.K. Beale. Uh, who explains the exhortation to persevere in this way about perseverance. I like what he says. It's a little long, but it's it's good. He says this, When believers endure in their faith, they are said to have kept the word of Christ's endurance. Now he talks about, he goes, The apocalypse, which means the book of Revelation, reveals that their reign, meaning believers, like Christ's initial kingship, consists of conquering, not by compromising their faithful witness in the face of trials, but in ruling over the power of evil in defeating sin in their lives. We need to persevere by defeating that sin that draws us away from the Lord, that keeps us from living victoriously, and we will experience the victory that the Lord has for us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your words that were recorded by your Apostle John who speak to us today. We, Lord God, are a church living in the tribulation. Sometimes it feels really bad, and sometimes it's not that bad, Lord. But nevertheless, we live in tribulation, but we also live in the kingdom of God, where you rule and reign. And you've called us to persevere in this world. And so we ask for your help, Lord God, that we would yield to your Holy Spirit in our own personal lives and as a church, Lord God that we might be faithful witnesses of you that we would illuminate you to this world to the friends in our lives to the family in our lives to co-workers that we would live lives of righteousness for your glory and Lord we would persevere in our witness we wouldn't just hold on Lord but that we would fight the good fight that we would finish the race that you've given that you've called us to run in so we submit our lives to you again, Lord, asking for your help to accomplish the victory that you have already given us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us in today's study. If you'd like to know more about us or where you can attend one of our services, you can find information online at www.ren.church. That's R-E-N dot church. Thanks for listening.